I've got two texts of Scripture. The first one is over in Acts chapter 4. And the second one is in Psalms chapter 2. Acts chapter 4. And you remember the occasion of, of this text. Uh, the apostles uh, had been put in jail for preaching Christ and the resurrection by Him. And... Uh, the whole council brought them together and threatened them. They threatened them. Look at in verse 18 of chapter 4 of Acts. This whole council, they called them, these apostles, these preachers of the gospel, and said, commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Don't even speak his name anymore. We're going to stomp this out early. We're not going to allow this anymore. We've allowed it too long now, but it won't go on. The next time we hear you mention the name of Jesus, it's going to be too bad for you. We're going to stop it. Well, they left and went back to the church. And here's what they said in verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people plot, imagine vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of the truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they were all gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now let's turn over in Psalms chapter 2 and read where the apostles quoted this from. Look over in Psalms chapter 2. Let me quickly read the whole chapter to you. Psalms chapter 2 and verse 1. Here's the very scripture they quoted in their prayer. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh, 
the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and distress them, vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore. O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverence, with fear, with awe, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. It's obvious here to all of us that read this scripture carefully who these people were against. They were against the Lord and his Christ. They were against Christ, so they obviously was against God who sent him. I came not of myself. He sent me. So they were against God. And they were against the Holy Spirit. Everything he did, he did through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. So they were against the Holy Spirit. They were against this triune God, but especially against the Son of God. Opposition to the Son of God. And he asked this question here, and I think he asked this question, and we know it wasn't for him to get information. He's not saying, why do the heathen rage? Because he doesn't know. But he's asking that you and I may consider, ask this question, why do the heathen rage? Why do they get together in their councils and plot such things against the Lord and against his Christ? And I think he brings us to this conclusion, that to do such a thing is unreasonable. Why would anybody be in opposition to God and to his Christ? And I think we'd have to reach this conclusion that it absolutely makes no sense. The cause of such opposition cannot be found in him. It has to be in the one who opposes him. Why? Why? So let's, first of all, this morning, consider this question. Why? There was no cause for it when we consider the very character of Jesus Christ. How could anybody oppose him? He asked them this question. He said, which of you convinceth me of sin? None of them could because he had no sin. The man who knew him as well as anybody else did, the Apostle Peter, spent three and a half years with him, watching him and listening to him. And here's what he said about him. He hath no sin, and no guile is found in his mouth. Everybody witnessed what a holy character Jesus Christ had. When he was born into this world, a holy angel came down from heaven and said, Mary, 
He that's to be born of you is a holy thing. He was born of a fallen woman, but he wasn't fallen himself. Born of a sinner woman, but he had no sin. Even the devils had to acknowledge that he's the just one, the holy one of God. No wonder he never did speak any guile. No wonder he never did lie. No wonder he spoke only truth because he spoke from the abundance of his heart. He had no sin. You and I can't relate to that, can we? I can't, I can't, brothers and sisters, I don't know. I have, I don't, I'm not conscious of when I began to sin. I began to lie when I came from my mother's womb. But I can't remember when I didn't sin. We're so unlike Jesus Christ, aren't we? He never sinned. And no guile was found in his mouth. Consider his character. And I think we'll see that any opposition to him is most unreasonable. Consider this about him. Consider what he did. Not only his character, but consider what he did. The Bible says he humbled himself. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. We never see him exalting himself. He always took the lowest station in life, didn't he? He said, you got a place to go tonight. you got a place to lay your head out from the elements. I don't have that. I don't have that. The Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. He hungered. He thirsted. He grew weary. He always had need. But do we ever find one single time that he did a miracle to relieve himself? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was tempted of the devil to turn stones to bread to satisfy his hunger. And he didn't do it. Man shall not live by bread alone. But listen, how many times did he feed the hungry bellies of others? He never did a thing for himself. He humbled himself always to meet the needs of others. Why opposition to this man? Twice there I read to you in Acts chapter 4, and I, I love this, that Peter, twice he referred to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as thy holy child. Don't you just love that? I thought as I read that yesterday, after Marvin preaching that message, a precious sacrifice. And here was God's child. God's humble, precious, holy child. And he came to this world and grew up and humbled himself and went about doing good. And he suffered opposition from the time he was born to the time he said it's finished. He suffered opposition. But you and I have to conclude, no matter which direction we look at him from, that such opposition is absolutely unreasonable. There's no cause for it, is there? Why then? Why? Do the heathen rage? The scripture says that he that was rich for your sakes became poor, that ye through his 
poverty might become rich. We got an old song that we just learned. Y'all probably sang it here. But it goes like this. Born among cattle, in poverty sore, living in meekness by Galilee shore, dying in shame as the wicked ones swore. Jesus, what a wonderful Lord. Weary, yet he is the world's only rest. Hungry and thirsty, and yet with plenty has blessed. Tempted, he promises grace for each test. Jesus, what a wonderful Lord. Friend of the friendless, betrayed and denied. Help of the weak in Gethsemane, he cried. Light of the world, yet in gross darkness he died. Jesus, what a wonderful Lord. He had no tears for his own grief, but he shed drops of blood for mine and for yours. And yet he suffered such opposition of these men. Were there any mourners near him that he didn't dry their tears? Never find a one, do you? He dried the tears of that widow who had lost her son. He dried the tears of those sisters who had lost their brother. Dried the tears of that woman by forgiving her a mountain full of sins. And yet he suffered opposition. He suffered opposition. He wept with those who wept and mourned with those who mourned. And he wiped away the tears of all. Except his own. What a humble child. What a humble Lord. If he was like us, okay. But he come down from glory. He's the Lord of glory. And think of this, brothers and sisters. It wasn't just those who followed him. It wasn't just those who sought him for mercy. But how often did he put himself in the way of those who would never have found him if he hadn't have? He purposely went and sought them out and waited on them to come there so he could have mercy upon them. The Samaritan woman would have never found him. If he had waited on her to seek him. He went there and put himself in her way. To save her. That Gadarean maniac that was full of devils. He never came to Christ. Christ went to him. And cast those devils out of him. And I bet you can say the same thing can't you. Did he not put himself in your way? Can't you see the providence of God bringing you to him because he first came and put himself in your way so that you'd seek him and find him? That's just the way he worked. That's the way he did. Why then do the heathen rage? Why do they plot such vain things? Oh, look at him in his death. Look at him on the cross. Hanging there. Betrayed of a man who professed to be his friend. Denied by another of his friends. Forsaken by all of his friends. 
And yet he hanged there, and in the hour of his greatest need, when he said, I sought for comforters and found none, and he looked out over that crowd, and all he saw was angry faces. And yet what did he say? Did he threaten them? When he suffered, he never even threatened anybody. Father, forgive them. They're so ignorant, they don't know what they're doing. And he lifted up his voice and said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Look at him from his birth to his death. And if there's anybody that ever earned any opposition, it wasn't him. Why do the heathen rage? Maybe somebody here this morning, you're sitting among this crowd. And maybe you may say, well, Bruce, I'm not in opposition to him. I don't know him. I don't seek him. But I'm not opposed to him. I'm just, I'm just remaining neutral. You can't do that. You can't do it. He said, you're either with me or against me. You're either gathering with me or you're with Pilate. You're with Herod. You're with the Jews. You're with the world. You're with Satan. There's no straddling the fence. It's bowing to him, owning him as your Lord, and you're all in all. Are you against him, aren't you? Why would any man be opposed to Christ? And think of this, think this about him. When you consider not only who he was and what he did and how he humbled himself, but consider his teaching. Consider what he taught. There was no teaching. No man ever spake like this man. Every word he said glorified God. He revealed God to us. He told us what God was like, didn't he? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's how the Father is. Just like me. Because I am God. He revealed man to us. Oh, you thought your pastor this morning, you thought your pastor this morning stripped us of any goodness. Oh boy, our Savior told us what we were and where we were, didn't He? He didn't spare us when it came to the truth. Boy, He spoke the truth. He told us we had a soul. He didn't cut any, he didn't cut any slack. He said, men, as they're born and as they live, if they die that way, they'll lose their souls. What would you give in exchange for your soul? What awakening words, what awakening teaching he spoke. And oh boy, where the world and when the world was saying, happy are you if you're rich. Happy are you stout-hearted and self-willed people. You're the people that's going to make it in this world. The Lord Jesus come and said this, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. The world was saying, blessed are you when you got friends to party with. The Lord said, blessed are you when you're broken and you mourn and you weep over your sin and yourself. You'll be comforted. Oh, what precious truths he spoke. 
what encouraging truths he spoke. Gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Consider all he taught us, and we could go a long way there, couldn't we? We'd have to ask ourselves this question, why? Why? We can consider this. This rage against the Lord Jesus is so unreasonable. When we consider what came out of his death. Why such opposition to his death? He told us what was going to come out of his death. Listen. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give His life a ransom for many. The gospel came from His death. Good news. A ransom for those who are captive. Who would oppose that? Did these Pharisees earnestly believe they didn't need a ransom? They weren't cursed by the law of God. They weren't taken captive by sin and Satan. Did they actually believe that? Why were they opposed to such a ransom? They needed it as much as the harlots and the publicans. But they wouldn't admit it. They wouldn't admit it. I tell you, sometimes, sometimes in the dark of night, when these Pharisees were alone, they were made to admit something in the deep recesses of their conscience that they wouldn't acknowledge openly. One of them, the chief of them, came to Christ one night. Remember that? And remember what he said to the Lord? We know something. We know something about you. We won't admit it because of the ramifications of it. But we know we've got together and talked. And we know that you're a teacher come from God. We just can't admit it openly. We know that. You, you preached yesterday on that woman. Wasn't when, when that you preached on the lady that came to him in John 8? And they went out one by one. From the oldest to the youngest. And you know what they said? We're guilty. Our conscience has smitten us. Why don't you admit it? Why don't you admit that you're guilty? Because of the ramification. If we do that, we'll admit we need this Jesus of Nazareth. We need His blood to wash us. We need His grace to save us. Why such opposition when down inside you know that you need Him? You know it. Unreasonable, isn't it? Unreasonable. There's times in my teenage years that the Lord made me know something, but I just wouldn't admit it. I knew, man, I need to be saved. I knew it, but I wouldn't bring myself to admit I can't save myself. He's going to have to save me. Man, I, I kept on trying to blind my eyes from that reality. That's unreasonable, brothers and sisters. It's just unreasonable. Any opposition against Jesus Christ and His death and His gospel is absolutely unreasonable. 
something else about this. Opposition against Jesus Christ is a vain thing. It's absolutely vain. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they plot a vain thing? Opposition against Jesus Christ, against God and His Christ, is vain. He said here in verse 3, he talks about these bands in verse 3 of Psalms 2. Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. What are these bands? Well, this is God's purpose in redemption. This is His redeeming purpose that He's bringing to pass by sending His Son, by the death of His Son, and by preaching the gospel of His Son to poor sinners. And they say, let's stop this. That's what they were telling the apostles. Let's stop this. The Lord Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And they said, no, you won't. We're going to stop you. Ain't that what they said? And when they couldn't stop him, they tried to stop his apostles. They tried to stop his church. But that's a vain thing, brothers and sisters. We have 2,000 years now to look back. We have the advantage over the early church. They had the word, but we've got the word in all of this history to look back. Did they stop the purpose of the Lord? Did they hinder Him in what He had purposed to do all along? They didn't. It's vain to even try it. It's vain for them to try it. The Lord said, you go to Judea, you go to Samaria, and you go out to Galilee, you go to Syria, you go to Asia, you go to Rome, you go to Spain, you go to Africa, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That was God's purpose. Did they stop him? What a vain thing to even plot to try. You begin here at Jerusalem. I got some people here. And their hands are blood red. They spit in my face while I was dying. Now you go to tell them about me. That same blood they shed would wash their sins away. 2,000 of them. 5,000 of them. Multitudes of them. Let's stop this. Let's break these bands asunder. Go ahead and try it. It's vain. They went to Thessalonica and there were idolaters there. They preached the gospel to them. They forsook their idols and worshipped the living God. He went to Ephesus and they were walking according to the course of this world. They preached the gospel and the Spirit quickened them and they were raised together in heavenly places with Christ. He went to Colossians and the devil had bound them in darkness and blinded their minds. They preached Christ to them and he delivered them from the power of darkness. And look at you, 2,000 years later. And it was the purpose of God then to save you. And they said, let's stop it. Did they do it? It's vain, isn't it? It's a vain thing to oppose God in his redeeming purpose. You just can't do it. Why then do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing?
It's a foolish thing. It's a foolish thing to oppose Jesus Christ. A foolish thing. Verse 4, he said, He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. What a foolish thing to say, let us stop God in His purpose. Let us stop the preaching of this gospel. Let us make sure that nobody else hears the good news. How foolish. How foolish to do that. The Jews said, if we let him alone, the Romans are going to come and they're going to take away our place. They're going to take away our nation. So we've got to kill him. We've got to stop it. Isn't it strange they killed him and then the Romans came and took their place? And God laughed. God laughed. I heard Brother Henry say one time, he said, he said, here Pharaoh was the enemy of God's people, the enemy of the Lord, had enslaved the Lord's people. And here he was rocking little Moses on his knee, the baby that was going to overthrow his kingdom. And God laughed. Haman built a gallows and said, I'm going to hang Mordecai tomorrow. And the day he had purposed to hang Mordecai, they hang Haman. And God laughed. It's a foolish thing, isn't it? A foolish thing. Let a man lasso the stars and bring them down and hold them in his fist. Let a man do that. Let a man reach up and snuff out the sun. Or dry all the waters of the rivers and the oceans. But don't let him oppose the sovereign God and his Christ. That's foolish. That's foolish. i tell you something else about it too. It's dangerous, boy. It's ruinous, isn't it? It'll ruin a man. He not only said, He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh, he shall speak to them in his wrath. He shall vex them in his sore displeasure. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Spurgeon used to say, A man's going to be saved by Christ, or he's going to be damned by Christ. He's going to say to them on his right side, Come. Inherit the kingdom? You blessed of my father? Or are you going to say, depart from me, you cursed? He's going to bring his people at his feet here, now, obtaining mercy? Or in justice, he is going to trample them under his feet? No man's going to be saved, and no man's going to be damned, but by the Son of God. Oh, the king said, we've set ourselves... We've set ourselves. God said, I've set him. I've set my son. And see who's the last one now. Standing when the battle's finished. Bring here my enemies. Isn't that awful? To think of this holy child, Jesus, in his humiliation, suffering, healing, doing good. And now he's on his throne. And he says, bring here the my enemies that would not that I should reign over them and slay them. Lord, Lord, what are you going to do with them? Slay them. 
dash them in pieces. Let their blood be sprinkled. Crush them. Cast them away. Could Jesus of Nazareth say that? He will. How dangerous it is. This is why we preach, is it not? Men have precious souls that must be saved or they're going to lose them for all eternity. That's one of the reasons we continue to preach. Opposition against Him will not be tolerated long. He will put it down. He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. He'll have us at His feet now and make us His friends. Or he'll crush us under his feet at the judgment. It's foolish. Opposition to Jesus Christ is foolish. And it's ruinous. And here's what he said in closing. Verse 10. Be wise now therefore. Consider this. And be wise. O ye kings, be instructed ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with awe and rejoice with trembling. And here's what he says. Kiss the Son. Kiss Him. You know what? You can't kiss somebody with your back to them. You can't, can you? To kiss somebody, you're going to have to turn and face them. And every rebellious sinner has all the encouragement in the world to turn and kiss the Son of God. Because He commands it. And everywhere He says, let the wicked forsake His way. Let Him return. Draw near to God. Draw near to Him. You have His threatenings, but you have His promise. Turn to Him. And I tell you, you can't kiss him being a four off. You can't kiss her being a four off from her. You've got to get right up to her, don't you? Right up. But you know, we don't start by getting up in his face. We start by getting down to his feet. <laughs> you read it, didn't you? Where was that woman kissing? His feet. We kiss his feet, and he kisses us with the kisses of his mouth. I'll tell you something else about kissing the Son of God. You can't kiss Him if you don't love Him. Judas kissed Him, didn't he? And Christ knew that He was a hypocrite, a traitor. You betray the Son of God with a kiss? You can't kiss Him if you don't love Him. Come to Him then. Face Him. Get down at His feet. Seek Him for His tender mercy, forgiveness of all your sin, acceptance. Clothing of His righteousness. Kiss His feet. And I tell you, when you do, you'll feel the kisses of His love. You'll feel the kisses of His love. And you know what you'll say? How stupid I've been. What a dangerous position I've been in. I've been opposed to Him ever since I've been conscious. I'll not oppose you anymore, Lord. I've piled up my weapons. I'm... Throwing up the white rag, Lord. I give up. Mercy. Mercy. I trust you. I'm trusting you to forgive my sins, to receive me. I trust you. I'm trusting you for all my salvation, all my righteousness. 
I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trusting you. Oh, it's a wonderful thing, brother, to obtain grace to trust him. I pray this morning that if you're here and you've never been able to trust him before, he'll give you grace this morning. Right where you're sitting, at this very instant, give yourself up to him in full trust. That's what he tells you to do. And I pray that he'll give you grace. Quit thinking about, well, I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to change my life. I'm leaving here today and I'm going to promise God that I'll be a better person. Stop that. Stop that, dear soul. Stop that. Stop that. We're not talking about doing anything. We're talking about somebody that's already done and accomplished and finished a work that God is satisfied with. Now trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Give yourself up to Him. If you've never done it before, trust Him now. You say, Bruce, that seems so simple. Well, try it and see. Try it and see. And if you can do it, it's because God has just given you grace to do it. The Lord bless you. God bless you. Bless you, Brother Mike.